thank you for inviting me to be part of your gathering this day. And let's pray together that the Lord will minister to us and through us and to me and through me as we share together from the word of God. Will you join me just for in a moment of prayer? Loving God, we give you this time. We've been ushered into your presence through the songs we've sung, the words we've heard read, the smiles that have greeted us on one another's faces. Lord, continue to bring us into your throne room this morning and teach us how to stand up straight and walk tall. We pray together in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But before you leave this prayerful posture, I invite you to, if you feel comfortable doing so, just remain as you are with your eyes closed so that each of us is sort of entered into a little mini sanctuary where there's no one but God's presence and and our very souls. And if you feel comfortable doing this, I'd like to invite you to practice a bodily type of prayer. And what I'm going to ask you to do is in this place of prayer to tighten all your muscles. Scrunch yourself up. Let your shoulders rise up to your ears. Tighten your abdomens and your toes and your fingers and hold that tightness for just a moment. And now let it go. Release it. Let the oxygen flow back into your body, and I want you to pay attention to the difference between what it felt like in your body when you were tight and bent and held in tension and what it feels like to be open and letting oxygen flow and to let your limbs and your body relax. There's a wonderful spiritual lesson for us in this exercise. So, Lord, we give you our bodies and our hearts and our minds and our souls. Craft us into your human beings that bless the world. Amen. Amen. Um, When Jack and I lived in San Francisco, which is where we moved here from, there was a man in our neighborhood who was so bent with osteoporosis that he walked permanently with his head fixed at a right angle to his body. His face was continually downcast, and I'm sure that this was not always his posture. Um, his curved spine had robbed him of the ability to, that he once had to look forward and to look around. It made life very difficult for him. And I think age and illness and poor habits conspired to bend him into this permanent disfigurement and deformity and disability. And as it is, as it was with his body, so it is with our souls. God's love created you to stand upright with your countenance looking ever upward and forward. But sin, sin done by you and sin done to you, has bent you into a shape that God never intended you to experience. You may look at your life and see a sin-bent figure full of bad habits, poor attitudes, and out-of-balance emotional reactions, but God sees through the bentness to the flawless and perfect child he created you to be.
God has not forgotten who you are. You're a dusty and grime-coated painting found in the family attic, which is only discovered to be of value when you take it to Antiques Roadshow and they tell you how much it's worth. <laughs> to you, it was just a dusty old painting that you had in the attic. But the, the experts see through the grime, see to the beauty of what you are and what you were created to be. Or you're a um, threadbare, bedraggled, stuffed animal whose value is only appreciated by the child who cherishes it. That is who you are. You are God's grimy and threadbare, but beloved child. And it's not that God isn't aware of the ways that sin has bent you. God's love is not blind. It's just that God's vision of you See, knows the whys and the causes of your business and remembers who you were created to be. You were created to be loved perfectly. And even though your parents loved you as best they were able, their love fell short of perfection. Love's standard was violated. Love's standard of perfection was violated. And each of these violations of love harmed you, bent you. Some violations were minor and relatively reparable by forgiveness and good intentions. Like a mother whose need for order kind of squashes her child's spontaneity. Or a father whose intention is to provide as best he's able for his family so he works long hours and isn't available to his family and isn't as available to his family as his family would want him to be or need him to be. These are small violations of love, and they can be repaired by forgiveness and recognizing that the intention of the person who has, um, of the parental per per person. But some violations were tragic and caused extended harm and a disfigurement in, of some fashion and has forced you into a compromised physical or emotional posture. Things such as parental abuse or addiction, those kind of traumas bend us in such a way that it's harder to bring reparation. These violations of love that you experience, that we've all experienced, set us up to live defensively, either trusting no one or excessively trusting everyone. Such an out-of-balance, self-oriented lifestyle can only lead you to choices that in turn cause you to violate love. As they say, hurt people hurt people. The sin done to you caused you to sin against others. That's our reality. It began in the Garden of Eden. I picture Adam and Eve walking with the Lord through the beautiful garden, and it says in the scriptures that they were naked and unashamed. Then sin entered the picture. And now I picture Adam and Eve kind of crouching, you know, trying to hide their nakedness now. Sin bent them. Praise God, though, that's not the end of the story. You see, there remains in each one of us the memory of walking tall and the hope of standing erect with our head held high, gazing upward with joy on our countenance. It's just that we've forgotten how to return to this home base. 
Previous to the fall, Adam and Eve enjoyed unadulterated fellowship with God, with each other, and with themselves. And after the fall, Adam and Eve were afraid, it says in the scriptures. It says they hid themselves and made fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Heeding the serpent's voice and choosing to do what God asked them not to do changed their outlook. Suddenly, they became self-conscious. For the first time, for the first time, they noticed their nakedness. They'd always been naked. They just hadn't noticed it before. They became aware of their vulnerable state, and they knew they had disappointed God. And one of the baseline effects of sin is self-focus and fear of being a disappointment. We adjust our lives so that, to the best of our ability, we will measure up to expectations placed on us. We need people's and institutions and schools, whatever it may be. We need their approval to validate our identity. We let others set the standard for who we are and what we are to do. We fear disapproval, so we attempt to live up to the expectations placed upon us by family, by society, and oftentimes by ourselves. We're like marionettes, standing straight because we're attached by strings to the puppeteer's hands. It's the puppeteer's will that determines our movement. We have no power of our own to walk about freely. Sure, we stand up straight. We're able to move across the stage of life. But if, the string, if and when the strings are cut, we collapse. Standing tall, powered by external demands, is based on fear. Standing tall based on external demands is based on fear and driven by our need to never disappoint. Recently, my brother-in-law, Jack's brother, um, died, and he lived by this little mantra that we often laughed at, but it's really quite true. He says, eventually, I'll disappoint everybody. (laughs) And he was right, you know, because we're not human. No one's perfect. We're going to leave disappointment in our wake and receive disappointment in other people's wake. But one thing I've learned is that God... God is never disappointed with us. God is never disappointed in you. And by that, I mean God is not taken by surprise when you sin. God is not taken by surprise when you fall short of love's standard. I remember on the last, um, at the Last Supper when um, Jesus had described what was laid ahead of him with the cross and all. And Peter, our good friend Peter, says, Oh, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you lead. I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus lovingly looked at Peter and he said, Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus knew Peter's intention. He knew his heart was willing. But he also knew Peter's flesh was weak. The same, Jesus and our Lord looks at us the same way. He looks on our heart. He knows what our intention is. And he's not surprised that the cock crows on us three times before the morning. Um, uh, Henry Nouwen, a good author, uh, many of us have read, said that we can either live in the house of fear or the house of love. And sin arouses fear and nags us to stand up straight so that we can be accepted. God's means of helping us to stand tall is born of love. It's an invitation to return home. Hosea 14, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, um, says, Return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your sins. 
return, a kind invitation. Remember who I say you are, God is inviting your heart to recall. Sure, sin has bent us and caused us to stumble, and because of it, we've given power to authority other than God to name us or to declare our value and our identity. But God's kindness invites us to repent. God's kindness invites us to come home. God's kindness and love invites us to stand tall. Instead of a puppet on a string, think of yourself as a think of yourself as a balloon, empty of any ego, empty of any drive for perfection, just ready to receive the breath of God that will blow into you and determine the shape that you are to hold. God's love is the breath that inflates you. God's love and character is poured into your heart and your life will take the form for which you were created as you receive that impouring of breath. You will naturally stand tall. Shame and fear will melt away and your life will become like Jesus. This is an ongoing process. <laughs> I give testimony to that. But my part and your part in this process is just to be receptive to the inpouring. In the scripture that Doug read this morning, and thank you for that reading, Doug, I, was such a um, vivid picture of what the scene looked like. But in my mind, I, this is what I picture. I, I picture the woman all bent over, you know, with head down, entering the synagogue. Jesus sees her and calls her to himself. So she goes up to Jesus. And notice that Jesus said words before he laid his hands on her. And I can't imagine this woman bent over like this with head can you hear me? With head down. I can't imagine Jesus saying, woman, your element is gone. I imagine Jesus bent down so she could see his face as he addressed her. And there's so many places in the scripture where love stoops down like that. I just love that picture of Jesus wanting to connect with her personally with the promise that her ailment is leaving. And then it says he laid his hands on her and she immediately stood up straight and started praising God. Um, so like in my story, and it's not always the case, but healing is spoken and then down the road experienced in movements of God's grace. Um, there's oftentimes a gap between the healing that God promises and our experiencing of it. When I graduated from college, one of my first financial investments as an adult was to get myself braces because I had this tooth right here, this one, sat like this at right angle to the rest of my teeth. And it was always kind of embarrassing. And so when I figured when I get some money, I'm going to do something about that. So I went to my orthodontist, and the ortho this was back in the day, put those literal metal bands around your teeth. I don't know, some of you may remember, now they have much more you know, nice ways of straightening your teeth, but it was metal bands, and it took years to get my teeth all aligned. And with great gladness, I went to my appointment, and he took the bands off, and I ate popcorn and you know, caramel candy and all that kind of stuff. But within a few months, this same tooth started reverting back to its crookedness. So I went back to the orthodontist, he banded me up again, Months, months, months went by, took them off. Yay. Guess what happened? 
tooth went crooked again. Finally, my orthodontist said, enough. He replaced that crooked tooth. He took it out and put a crown on that tooth. So now that crown, now this tooth stands in alignment with the rest of my teeth. You can all look more closely later on. (laughs) But that's a picture of what God promises. Like in Ezekiel um, 35, God says, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within your heart and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God's grace gives us a new heart. We can't make it happen. We can just receive it. So how do we cooperate with grace? Okay, I'll try to be kind of practical as we head toward home here. Um, First of all, Jesus called this woman to himself. Jesus calls each of us with our brokenness and our bentness to come into his presence. So our first role is to heed this call, to recognize that God knows our bentness and wants to do something to help us stand straight. Um, Hosea, again, from 14 says, when you return to the Lord, take words with you when you return to the Lord. And so I think we are, when we come back with our brokenness and the ways that sin has bent us, that we're to talk specifically with God about the ways in which we are bent, the ways in which sin has afflicted us and through us afflicts others. I, um, part of my story, part of the bentness that I carry into my life is a huge conviction that I have nothing of value to offer the world. And it, it has been to me a lot of my life. It's kept my voice quiet. It's kept me hidden in a crowd, kept me in the corners of parties, <laughs> kept me not trusting myself. And so when I talk with God about this primary kind of core sense of insufficiency or inadequacy, I talk with God about that. I I don't say, God, help me to um, speak properly today or help me to make a new friend. I say, God, I'm so wounded inside. There's a part of me that doesn't believe anyone could really value me or love me. And I keep looking to other people to validate me and heal that wound, but they will always disappoint me because they can't love me perfectly. Only you can love me perfectly. So let me live from this place of, of your love for me and its perfection. And then let be done with trying to stand up straight and tall because I expect other people's approval. Let me seek your approval. We live, we bring our specific wounds to to God and invite the Holy Spirit to, like Jesus touched that woman, to tell us the truth about ourselves and then to touch us and help us to stand up straight. Um, So one thing I think... (laughs) another, Another thing we can practice is to try to live more readily in the awareness that sin is nagging us, that sin is trying to keep us bent, that sin is trying to make us stand tall on our own so we can measure up to all the expectations. When we notice that going on in our lives, what we need to do is remember the breathing exercise we did in the morning. We need to let it go. I personally do that. When I find myself feeling like it's all up to me to pull the game off, I kind of just you know, have this sort of natural sort of 
everybody does this. You know, everybody yawns and stretches, but when I, I do that, I know I'm trying to measure up to God's approval or to other people's approval. And with this posture, I'm letting it go, and I'm reminding myself that it's the cross that makes me ready and acceptable and valuable. So if you ever see me going like this, you'll know I'm not just stretching. You'll know I'm feeling rather insecure at the moment, and I need a reminder of where my source of validity and my source of power comes from. Um, So find your own posture, your own secret code that just you and God know. Well, now you all know my secret too, so. Well, that's okay, because now you can pray for me when you see me doing that, but. Um, and the third thing is to find a trusted community to journey with you as you're experiencing more and more of God's healing. Remember um, when Jesus brought Lazarus forth from the grave. Lazarus, again, I use my imagination a lot when I pray, and I kind of picture, because it says he's still wrapped up in his grave clothes, so I picture him kind of, oops, hobbling, you know, out of, the, out of the tomb, out into the life again. So Jesus gave Lazarus life. But he turned to Lazarus's friends, and they said, unwrap him. So God is the one that gives us our life, but we need each other to unwrap the grave clothes from our lives so that we can walk freely and truly stand up tall and live the life God intends us to live. Um, so in summary, oh, I forgot to tell you, I put a little um, handout in here that basically just told you just what I said in a couple sentences. So you... If you slept through, that's okay. <laughs> you, can, you can read it in here. But it boils down to this. Sin has bent you. Sin tries to keep you bent over through fear. And our loving God, who knows the ache of walking with a bent back, can you imagine how heavy that cross was? Can you imagine how far Jesus' back was bent carrying that? Our God knows the pain of walking with a bent back. And our God wants to remove that, that cross from us and remove that burden, burden from us. And it's God's healing love that will return us to our true posture. The word of the Lord for the people of God, by God's grace. All right, friends. Liz, you have a question? <laughs> Hello, Liz. Let me close our time in prayer. Is that appropriate? Yeah, okay. Loving God, breathe into us. Let our lungs expand with your, with your Holy Spirit's breath. Let our shoulders stand erect. Let our heads look forward, anticipating the day when we will be completely healed, completely restored, completely whole. And in the meantime, remind us to walk, that this is our natural posture. Let us return to it. By your grace. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.